joy it is to be with all of you. I was with you in, uh, in March and, uh, and have the joy of my family back. And I think we've already been introduced, but let me introduce at least my wife right here, Danielle Hurley. Go ahead and stand up for her. Just because you can tell the difference between my wife and my daughter. <clears throat> and uh, there's my wife. And as well, I brought with my family, uh, my parents. My parents are here. Pat and Dad Hurley, go ahead and just wave to everybody. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I even came to know the Lord was through Dorothy Cush going door to door. home, inviting my parents to church, and as a result of that, I have come to know the Lord, and now in Africa as a missionary, and we just, amen, do that, that for all of us to get out and talk with our neighbors, and uh, with that, I've also brought some friends of SOS here, and uh, Brian McKay. And his wife Joni and uh, Armando just wave to, to everybody here, and uh, those that uh, are of SOS and they help us out stateside, and they are just a rich, rich blessing to me. And uh, they're here this morning. I also have one other friend, uh, Walter. Where are you, Walter? There he is, right there. Walter and his family, right there. junior high and high school. Although stash in junior high, we're always amazed by that. But <laughs> yesterday we had a, a sweet time uh, with him and uh, and some other friends. To Western High School, and back then the high school was in Covina. Now it's here in Upland. I went to that school back in the day, and we had a reunion. Walker. We had an awesome time in the there yesterday? Come on, let's see it. Raise your hand with pride. All right, awesome. So it was a joy to be out there uh, being kicked by your church. It was awesome. <laughs> and so we, we thank you guys for putting that together and, and sharing in friendship in that way. I'm going to ask a favor of all of you. Take out your pen. Some of you are, I already have it out. Okay. Take out your pen and write F sosministries.com sosministries.com just making it because edu is like sword in the spirit I want you to I want you to sign up to get our updates we want to encourage my job is to encourage America with what God is doing in Africa and as well to live for kingdom and for live for Christ. And so we want that ministry as missionaries of this church back into your church body. So I want to ask you to go on our website and get our email update. How many are willing to do that? Okay, if you're not, it's okay, but we you. <laughs> Just kidding. So uh, what, a, what a joy it is to be here. And to be a missionary of this church, honestly, I, I feel blessed. Having grown up at Upland Bible, which then later became Foothill Bible, uh, it is really an honor to be a part of this church body, one of which I see take lightly. And, uh, and so with that, I want to start by praying. 
Can we pray together before we jump into the word? Because I want Christ to be exalted this morning. Help me as we go before our Lord in need. Father, we are all mere servants of your majesty. Father, I want to ask by your grace that we would decrease supersede over the message in such a way that people would see you in all your grandeur and all your majesty and that your Father, and that we would all be realigned under your word, under your leadership. Father, I pray that this Christmas would be unlike any other Christmas because in a way you would have been in more uh, excellently exalted. Ask that you would have be praise and worship this morning we ask through your son we pray amen those of you that don't know about our ministry go on our vimeo on our website and there's videos there. this morning i don't want to talk about our ministry i did that awesome subject about jesus your reading this morning was from Luke chapter 1. I want to start by drawing your attention to a couple of those verses to pop out that theme. Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes and declares to afraid and he declare he that the angel also declares this message. Look with me starting in verse 32. In verse 32 it says this. Jesus, his name will be Jesus in verse 13, and he will be what? Everyone, come with me. We are we're interacting. So, talk with me, and if you do that, then your neighbor is free to knock you, okay? It's what we do. It's in Uganda. We just have him knocked. No, just kidding. Jesus. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the what? The throne of his father David. He will and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. Woo! Uh-huh. Forever. And his kingdom will have no what? Jump down to verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, <coughs> the bondservant of the Lord. The what? Bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me your word. In 1963, 
there was a pop singer named Andy Williams. This was not a hymn, but a popular song sung in the American culture at Christmas. And this is what this pop singer sang. Ring Christmas bells. Merrily ring. Tell all the world is king. Loudly proclaim with one accord the happy tale. Welcome the Lord. You believe this is sung in pop culture? He continues, ring Christmas bells, sing far and near. The birthday of Jesus is here. Herald the news, the old and the young. Tell it to all in every tongue. Wow. The message of Christmas, our culture proclaimed. Now, I don't know who Andy Williams is because I wasn't here in 1963. But what a song. How powerful that the world would stop on Christmas to sing Jesus is King. This morning, I've been asked to deliver a message to set the, this Advent forward by declaring the message that Jesus is King, and there's no message I like preaching more than Jesus as King. So I want to, what I want to do this morning is I want to start, and, and I want to provide a theology for you. And it'll be a simple foundational theology understanding Jesus as king. So it will not be exp expositional, it will be more theological, but it will be simplified to the bottom shelf, I hope. I want to start by making two declarations, and I'm going to follow that by logical questions. And I'm going to give you six of them. Two declarations. I'm going to give you six logical questions that are going to lead you to help you see what this looks like practically. <clears throat> and so with that, let's start with declaration number one. Declaration number one. <clears throat> declaration of number one is this. <clears throat> and I apologize. No, we're good, we're good, we're good. So, declaration number one is today, God is sitting over the throne, over the universe, ruling as king. Today, God is sitting. So, imagine the heavens sitting on a throne over the universe, ruling as king. That is fact number one. Psalm 24, 7 through 10 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Amen. My dear friends, 
Declaration number one is there is God over the universe reigning and ruling as king. Reigning and ruling as king. Right now, he is ruling as king. Many may not acknowledge him, but he is there and he is ruling. And he is not just the king of one location, but he's the king of the universe. He's not just the king of Israel. He's the king of all kings. And he hasn't just been reigning for a few years, but he's been reigning and will reign forevermore. Amen? That's why Jeremiah 10, 6, and 7 says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdom, their kingdoms there is none like you. Our God is separate. Our God is great. Our God is glorious because he reigns over it all. The one who created it rules over it. And we'll talk about this. That's why 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to him, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, fact number one is that God right now rules over this universe, sitting on his throne in the heavenlies. And whether we acknowledge him or not, he is still reigning. Amen? Fact number Two. Fact number two. This God who is reigning deserves to rule over the lives of his creation. This God deserves to rule over the lives of his creation. In Daniel 7, 14, it speaks of Jesus. And it says, and to Jesus, Jesus, the Son of Man, walks up to the Ancient of Days, and it says this, and to him, that is Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. See, so why was Jesus given a kingdom? Well, he goes on, he says, so that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Why was Jesus given a kingdom? Everybody, the answer is so that what? So that we might what? He was given a kingdom that we would all bend the knee in service to him. My dear brothers and sisters, this theology drives our ministry in Uganda, drives my life, and should drive every believer and our worldviews. I believe that God has always desired to rule over mankind as king. Always desired to rule over every individual here as king. The history has shown that mankind has continuously rejected God's authority as their king. 
When we pick up our Bibles, it's the declaration of king, 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 king. And it's also the declaration of man's rebellion against this king and his inability to bend the knee to his supremacy. I really believe when we look at the center of the Bible, it is king and kingdom. Even our gospel is called the gospel of the what? Of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? That there is a king and he must rule over his creation. Stated differently, I believe the purpose of mankind and every one of us here, whether you claim to know Christ or not, whether you embrace him as king or not, the purpose you were created is to glorify and enjoy God by serving him as king forever. As you serve him as king, you do what? You glorify him. In the Garden of Eden, we see this. God creates a universe, says, honor me and enjoy the garden. But Israel failed to submit under God as king and wanted to be a what? King. We see this in Israel. According to 1 Samuel 8, 6, and 7, Israel rejected God as their what? King. And we see Jesus coming in Bethlehem as what? As king and being what? Thrown on a cross. Why? Mankind rejects the supremacy of Jesus Christ to the point of nailing him on a tree. We know that one day Jesus will come back in the millennial what? And reign from David's throne. King, king, king. One day we will enter the what? Kingdom of heaven and will sit throughout eternity around his throne, worshiping him and exalting him as what? King. God desires to rule in the hearts of of his people, his creation. God desires to rule over every single one of us in this room right now and outside of this room. Now, these facts are true. The celebration of Christmas is the celebration that our king has come. The mystery that we'll never understand that the king would leave his throne and come to humanity and die for us. How can that be? But he loved the world so much and he knew the only hope the world has was his laying his holy body on a tree as a sinner to pay for the sins of humanity. And he did it. For us, Christmas is the celebration that the king has come to pay for your sin and my sin. That we might be servants of his majesty. I want to help us, in light of these two declarations, help us understand this in a more practical way. And I want to do that by asking and answering six questions. 
So come with me and interact with me in this way. Question number one. How did God get his authority or right to rule? How did God become king? In order to answer this question, I want to ask you some little questions that are not part of the main question, okay? How did God get become king? Well, first, or get the authority or right to rule over humanity, I want to start by answering the question, what is authority? That word is an interesting word, authority. What is authority? What does that word mean? The dictionary describes authority in this way. It is the power or right to give orders or make decisions or enforce obedience. Therefore, authority is to be in charge, to have power over others. It's the right to rule over other people, to make decisions on their behalf. See, Shannon, I don't quite understand yet. Well, let me help you. Who are people in authority? Come on, who's in authority over this church? Huh? Pastors slash elders, right? That means if they want me to stop preaching right now, I'm out. They have authority. They can have me sit down. They are the ones who created direction for this service and even allowed me to stand up here. Who are other people with authority? Okay, everybody, you can say, today, Donald Trump. Tomorrow, you can say, <laughs> we, we don't know what's going on. We won't even go there. But let's just say our president has authority. What does that mean? He has the right and privilege to give what? Orders. He's in charge. Now, this is interesting in American context because we don't understand kingdom because we don't have a kingdom. The rest of the world are built around kingdoms. <coughs> Mine is the Buganda kingdom and about another 10 other kingdoms in my country. Even England has a kingdom. But the idea of authority is that this person is in charge. They have the power and the right to make decisions on behalf of the people. Who are other people in authority? How about parents? Come on, parents. Come on, raise your hand if you're a parent. All right, uh-huh. Go, go like this, people power or something. I don't know. You have authority. That is, you can spank your children when you want. You can make, this is the, <coughs> the direction we're coming to church, whether you want to or not, right, kids? They set the time for dinner and breakfast. They have the right, they're in charge. A boss has authority over a company. He sets the salary scale. He decides who is hired and who is fired. He is a person of authority. The question then becomes, how does one then get authority in general? I want you to hear this. How does one get authority? The answer to that question is actually found in the word authority. 
You tell me what word is in authority? Author. How does one get authority? He becomes the what? The author. He becomes the author. That is, he, is, he establishes something. The way a person gets authority or power or the right to rule is by being the person who authors or starts something. Or by that author giving that authority over to someone else. Are we together? Let me illustrate what I mean. How does a boss get authority? He starts a what? A company. When he starts that company, all of a sudden he now has power. How do parents get authority? Something happens? No, something happens. All of a sudden a baby lands on a table just <laughs> and that dad holds that baby and now says, I have what? Power. <laughs> Never forget that, kids. When you're born because you were authored by those parents, you now, the parent now has authority over those children. They became the author, if you will, of those children. Now we also recognize that the author is more than the parents, and therefore that gives additional authority, and that's where we're going. Or what happens if a boss has that authority, he, he yields out certain authority to others. And we, as the church, Christ established the church and yields that authority to elders, right? So coming back to the original question, how does God get his authority? The answer is this, God started or authored the universe. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.3 says, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Woo! God created it all. God himself says, it is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretch out the heavens. With my hands, I adorned all their hosts. God is the author. Therefore, God is the king with the authority over his creation. Oh, glorious. Whether you like it or not, you were authored. And because you were authored, God is the ruler of it all. Question number two. What does God's right over the people of this world look like? And the answer is simple. Since God made every single thing in the world, he can do as he pleases with his creation. I like writing. I'm not very good at it, but I like it. And if I write a book and I want to write a love story, and I create a love story where a village girl meets this king. 
And they go and they fall in love. And they go to get married. And right before they get married, the king dies. If I write that in my story, can I do that? Answer? Why? Because I'm the author. See, that's a demented story with a demented mind. That's how us men think, okay? Love stories. If I build a sculpture, I can make of that clay anything I want. Is that not what the Bible teaches about God? In Romans 9, 19-23, it says, You will say to me, why does he find fault who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not, have, does not the potter have the right over the clay? Answer is what? Yes. Isaiah 29, 29, 16 says, shall the potter be considered equal with the clay? That what is made would say to the maker, how did you make me? He did, he did not make me. Or what his form say, uh, who formed it? He has no understanding. Can we as the clay say that to God? Absolutely no way. My dear friends, God has complete authority over everything. And when Jesus came on this earth, he demonstrated that he was that king. He was that creator. Why and how? By having authority over what? All things. That's why when Jesus says that I have authority to forgive sins, Matthew 9, 6. And he says that I have authority over unclean spirits and demons, Matthew 10, 1. And Jesus had authority to cast people into hell, Luke eleven five. 5. Jesus teaches as one having what? Authority, Matthew 7, 28 through 29. And Jesus has authority to execute judgment, John 5, 27. Jesus came to show the world, I am the king, I am the creator. Look, when I speak, it happens. Everything obeys my what? That was the declaration. That was the proof and the truth that he laid out for humanity. So what does it mean that God has authority over the people of this world. What does it mean, my dear friends? Whether you like it or not, it means this. He can do with every single one of you as he sees fit and has to make zero explanation because he is the author. Question number three. What is my responsibility? And we'll move quickly. Don't get worried. What is our responsibility to the king of kings? As we said before, our responsibility is what? Service. 
Our responsibility to the king is service. We who are Christians, we have bent the knee and recognized Jesus as what? Lord. That's what it is to be a Christian, to acknowledge he is the king, to look beyond the earthly and see the reality of a king over it all. Our responsibility to the king is service. A Christian is a servant of the most high God. That's why Romans 6.22 says this. That all of us, and you got to look at this verse later, Romans 6.22, you want to see whether you're a true Christian or not. You want to see whether you're truly born again or not. Romans 6.22 lays it out for us. He says that all of us who truly know Jesus Christ are free from sin and enslaved to God. We are servants or slaves of what? Of God. First Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are now servants of his majesty. First Peter 2.16 says, Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond servant of God. We are servants. Our responsibility, the king of kings, is service. That's why even when the, this language is used all throughout the Bible, even in Matthew 13, 38, he speaks a, a parable of the wheats and the tares. Who are the wheats? And who are the tares? The wheats are those, he say, who are sons of the king. The tares are sons of the prince of this world. They follow their lusts. They follow their passions versus following the king of kings. Romans Revelation 22, in the end, when God separates humanity from one another, the sheeps and the goats, if you will, and Revelation 22, verse 3, says there will be no longer a, any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and his bond servants, that is you and I who know Jesus Christ and have lived following after his majesty, we will serve him, and they shall see his face. His name will be on their forehead. Those who are in the kingdom are those who are servants of his majesty. What's really interesting about this bondservant and this concept, this is what dominates the New Testament thinking of a believer. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. Before that, it was used as disciple or a learner or a follower. But the most popular term really for Christian is the word bondservant. 
The term bondservant was the popular term. That's why every letter in the New Testament seems to be written with that word. Romans 1.1, Paul calls himself a bondservant. Jude calls himself a bondservant in Jude 1.1. James calls himself a bondservant in James 1.1. Peter in Peter 1.1. John in in Revelation 1.1. Elizabeth refers to herself that in Luke 1.48. Epaphroditus is called that in in Colossians 4.12. Revelation starts off that saying all Christians are our bond servants. What is the point? The point is this. A Christian is someone who surrendered their life to follow Jesus as king. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. If you are a Christian then the Bible makes it very clear that you are a bond servant. A bond servant or a bond slave is someone who has surrendered themselves not out of duty, but out of love for their master to do anything the master has asked. Which brings us to question number four, and we'll move quickly. The next question before us is what does it mean to be a servant of the king of kings? What does this mean? You say, well, I'm a servant of the king. That sounds great. But what does this mean practically? And oh, my dear friends, look into your life. Many will say, Lord, Lord, king, king. Didn't I do this and this, all these experiences? And you'll say, depart from me, you who are workers of what? lawlessness, meaning you never submitted to my law. You lived as a a rebellious servant, not a submissive one. So what does it mean to be a servant of the king of kings? I like asking this question to my people in Buganda. I'll ask them, what do you think it means for the people of Buganda to be a servant of the king of Buganda? Now this is still a live kingdom in Uganda, and many are very loyal to the king of Buganda, and and they will declare it means that you honor and obey the voice of the Buganda king. Now, there's tension between the Buganda king and the president, so you can imagine the tensions on these things in my country. If the king of Buganda speaks, they are to listen if they are true servants of the king of Buganda. If the king says, Buganda says, let's go to war, those who are true servants of the king of Buganda do what? Go to war. If they don't go to war, then they're not truly a what? Servant of that king. If they say, he says to honor me, then you honor him. Throughout the history of the world, no matter what nation you are from, when a king asks its subjects to do something, the people what? Obey. They obey. A servant was to give ultimate priority to his king's voice over all other voices. 
Therefore, my friends, what does it mean to be a servant of Yahweh? Servant of Jesus Christ. Listen, it means you honor and obey his voice in everything. If he says to love your wife, you what? Huh? Men, come on. If he says you submit to your husband, you what? If he says to, to love your enemy, if he says to speak kindly to one another and tenderheartedly and speak gentleness, to be filled with the Spirit instead of giving over to the flesh, it means we do all of it. And when we don't do it, we find shame in ourselves because we want to honor the King. Today, people want to say that they are servants of Jesus Christ, but they do not honor or obey his voice. If you're honest with yourself, are you obeying his voice in everything? Or is it your way? One man I'll never forget, a friend of mine growing up, his dad had him sing, I did it my way on his funeral. Oh, can someone sing, crown him with many crowns at mine, and I did it his way. My dear friends, I, I want to declare to you that the Bible is very clear that you are a servant of the one you obey. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as a servant of, for obedience, you are a slave or a servant of the one whom you, what? Obey. Either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. You are a servant of the one you what? My dear friends, we cannot say that we are servants of Jesus Christ if we do not honor his voice and obey his voice from the heart with our effort that it be in everything. You see, the, the problem when we don't love our wife is we say, God, I, I don't want you to rule there. I, I, I want to do that my way. But that's not what we as servants do. Disciples throughout the history of the world, of the church, have lived this way. That's why in Acts 5, 27, he says, we obey God rather than what? Man. That's why in Exodus 1, 17, it speaks of the midwives that they did not obey the king of Egypt as he had commanded, but they let their boys live, not putting them to death. Colossians, uh, Galatians 1.10 says, for I am not seeking the favor of men. Listen to this. For am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I still striving to please men? Then he says this, if I were still trying to please man, 
I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Meaning, I serve no one other than God alone. Question number five is this. Where can the words of the king of kings be found? This is as elementary as the B-I-B-L-E, right? My friends, but let it be known and let it be stated with great declaration, the voice of the king be found in one place, in one place what? Alone. And that is in the Bible, and the Bible what? Alone. The Bible is the word of God. That's why we defend to no end that people coming up with their own visions and their own extra words are not from God's word. It's taking away from the king's voice. But we are attentive. Our ears are filled with the words of our highly exalted king. That's why we're passionate for this book. That's why we're eager and anxious to know what it says. That's why we spend time every day in it that we would know the words of the king. That's why if we are servants of God, we are humbly and eagerly and passionately come before this book knowing what does our king want us to do. Now, I have helped you understand that Jesus is king. I've helped you understand that all Christians are to be servants of this king, listening attentively with great focus to obey the voice of God, and that the Bible is that voice. That's why we must know this. And it must reign in our homes, and this is what we teach our children. I want to end by one final question now, and that is this. What does it practically mean to live as a servant of the King of Kings? And this, I pray, will be what we take home in a practical way in our own lives. What does it mean? It means you fill yourself up so much with these words right here so that God's thoughts fill your heart, fill your emotions, and come out in your actions <clears throat> in every area of your life. You align your life under the king's voice. It means that when it comes to areas of your life, that you need counsel on, you go before the king. And you say, king, how do you want me to handle this? It means that you, you run your life the way the king wants you to run it. It means that you play sports the way the king wants you to play them. It means that you obey your parents the way the king wants you to obey them. It means you do your schoolwork the way what? I said that for my kids.
means that you run your relationship with that boy or girl or that husband and wife the way the king wants you to rule it. It means that everything we do in our lives is done under the submission of the king of kings as a sacrifice of worship to his majesty. Dear friends, too often we do things mindlessly and ignore the fact that there is a king who has spoken and that one day we will give an account to him. Those who are separated from him in judgment are clear. Those who obey him as king enter heaven. Those who are in rebellion against his majesty are punished just like anyone who has caused treason in any kingdom is treated. Because God's holy standard demands obedience because God's way is the best and any other way destroys the sweet rule of God. Let me take this back to us here on this first Advent service of this Christmas season. By the way, welcome to Christmas. To us, a king is born. And he shall reign forevermore. And the little town of Bethlehem was born a king. That's why wise men came and bent the knee to him. That's why he stood at the Sermon on the Mount and declared who he was and said that you, if you were to make me master, let me just read this to you. This is what the king said at the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve to what? He either hates the one and loves the other. He's devoted to one and despises the other, but you cannot serve God and something else. This Christmas, let us together declare to our friends and neighbors, let us ring the bells, the Christmas bells, and merrily ring, telling the world that Jesus is what? King. We love you and appreciate your service to us in Uganda. While we serve him there, may you be serving him here. Let's pray. Lord, I just think of heaven's scene when we will stand in your presence even what's going on right now in your presence. Where everyone is singing, worthy are you who were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You made them to be kingdom, be a kingdom and priests to our God, that they will reign upon the earth. 
Lord, in every voice crying out with the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of your creation around your glorious throne saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. You who came are the one in which everyone is declaring worthy is the lamb. You were not a child simply sitting in a manger. You were the creator sitting in the manger. And worthy you are to receive riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Lord, as is declared in your word that every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them will one day sing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And we will all fall down, worship you, and declare amen and amen and amen and amen. Father, I pray <coughs> on this Christmas that you would be greatly exalted as the king born for your people. We love you and we praise you. Thank you that we get to worship you today freely as we have. Be exalted, our master, we pray. And Father, I also pray that anyone here that is not serving you as master, Lord, I want to beg of you, show them themselves. Father, help them not hide in their illusions, but help them look and see themselves that they would recognize their rebellion. Oh, please, oh, living God, that they may see their sin, turn from their sin, and run to you for their Savior, to be Savior from their sin. Oh, do a work of grace in that way, we pray. Amen.